0: We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Let's open in prayer as we get ready for God's Word. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your Word. Guide and lead us. Show us what you want us to see from this. Help us to have clear vision on your Word and understanding. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 54. And he, that's Jesus, said also to the people, when you see cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there comes a shower and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat and it comes to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and the earth, how is it that you cannot discern this time? Yea, and why even yourselves judge, judging not what is right? So I just want to stop there because I want to look at this uh, very interesting section that Jesus talked about. Now, at first he tells the, the scribes and Pharisees, you can, you can try to judge the weather. You can say this is happening and this is going to happen. Um, one of the strange things I have found since moving to Mojave County is it gets real dark and cloudy and no rain comes. Everywhere I've ever lived you saw as much clouds and cl- dark clouds as we see around here. You'd be pouring down rain by that evening or the next day. I go around here. I go anywhere else. This looks like we'd have a storm tomorrow. We won't, it probably won't rain here tonight, all right. But you know, I have lived many places. When I lived in Guam, I used to we used to watch the the storms. They would come down one side of the mountain, come across the bay, and come up the other side. And we knew exactly how long we had to do had to get inside the house because the storms always came from the same direction. And if the course it didn't come that way, unless it was a hurricane. <laughs> Hurricanes came from any direction, but they, they would always come from the same way and come up, and we go, okay, when it gets to that point, we have 10 minutes to get into the house. And it was pretty much true everywhere. You know, and we all have this kind of thing. you know. We go, we see things, we go, it's going to be dry, it's going to rain, you know. Uh, and he's telling them in this section, you can almost predict the weather a lot. And then he says, but you do not understand the times. Now the question that you might have on that is what were the times that Jesus was talking about? And we're going to talk about that for you right now. The time that he was talking about is they were looking for the Messiah. They had the Messiah standing right in front of them and could not see that he was the Messiah. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because this is one of the few places where they were talking right. They were going, Messiah is coming. They knew the signs of the Messiah. And we'll cover just a handful of those signs before we go on. And yet, when Jesus stood before them, they could not tell that it was him. And so we're going to look at some of these signs that they were supposed to, to be looking for and watching for. And see if we can see them In Matthew 11, we're going to look at verse 2 to start with. Now when John had heard in the prison the words, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Are you he that should come or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and show John again these things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead hear, and the dead are raised up. And the dead, death here, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and he blessed. And blessed is he, whoever whosoever shall not be offended in me. So here we have Jesus telling the disciples of John, these are the signs that you are supposed to be looking for for the Messiah. All right. Now the problem was that they were not looking for those signs of their Messiah. The Jews were looking for a whole different Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. That will be the one that we're looking to at the end of the end of the tribulation period who comes back in victory and rules the world and they were looking for that and John Jesus answer to John quotes these things and you're going well that's all wonderful but why did Jesus quote those things why would the disciples and John and and the scribes and Pharisees know that these were the things that they were looking for well Jesus was quoting from I, the book of Isaiah so we're going to go back to Isaiah 35. Verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the deaf, dumb sing, for in the, for in the wilderness that shall waters break forth and streams in the desert. So they already knew what the Messiah was going to do. The Messiah was going to come and bring healing. Now we know that this will also happen in the second coming of Jesus. When everything is restored and the world is basically restored and people have long life and will be restored back to a long life and things will go well. So this has a dual, dual opinion on it. And this is what they were looking for. The Messiah coming and setting up a perfect kingdom where everything was ruled. And they didn't recognize that Jesus was healing the lame, healing the blind, the, healing the deafnesses, the raising the dead. Everything that was being told there. Isaiah 61 Verses 1 through 3. And the Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good thing tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to anoint... To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Isn't that what happens to us when we get saved? God takes away mourning and sadness, gives us joy, as long as we let him work from the inside out like like we're supposed to. He does all of these things and Jesus is telling the scribes and Pharisees and even John, the Messiah is standing right here in front of you. Don't you see? Or are you so spiritually blind that you cannot see? This is why he calls them hypocrites. They've been teaching about the Messiah coming. And then in Isaiah 29, verses 17 and 19, is it not... Yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned to, into a fruitful field, and a fruitful, fi- and a fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the, the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall, shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek shall also increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among, among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So again, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing light. I'm bringing understanding. And the scribes and Pharisees were so full of their way of thinking that they could not see that the Messiah had been right there in front of them. The disciples had the same problem. We see the disciples ignoring Jesus every time he tells them that he's going to go to the cross and die and come back in three days. It's, uh, they're basically saying, does not compute, does not make sense, throw it away. And they're waiting for him. They were waiting for him to stand up and throw Rome out and become the king of Israel. And that was what they were doing. This is what the scribes and Pharisees were waiting for. They were waiting for that man that was going to be king. And the whole world was going to rule, be ruled from Jerusalem. You know, and We talked about this, and this is, we'll talk again later on about this. That's all about the eschatology of end times. Daniel talked about how the king was coming that was going to rule the world. And the other uh, prophets all talked about how Israel was going to be the center of everything. And all these years, the Jewish people have been waiting for that day when they were going to rule. When Jerusalem was going to be the center of the entire world's uh, governments. And they're still waiting for that, at least the Orthodox are. They're waiting for that day when the Messiah is going to come and deliver them and make them the center of everything. Now, other verses that they should have known, Genesis 49.10. The prophecy that the king will come out of the tribe of Judah. Now the problem they had with Jesus is they did not look at Jesus' history very well. Because we read in the scriptures one term that's always there. Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Nazareth is nowhere near Judah. Well, hundreds of miles. (laughs) And it's nowhere near Bethlehem where he was supposed to be born. So when he's identified as Jesus of Nazareth and not Jesus, if they had said Jesus of Bethlehem, they would have taken great notice of him. Well, maybe this guy could be the Messiah, because they knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born. But because he's come, you know, the comment is always Jesus of Nazareth, they they never even considered that he could be Messiah. If they had just done a little bit of research into his background, a little bit of research into who he was and where he came from, they would have had a different opinion of him. Uh, Psalm 132 11 tells us that he would be of the family of David. Again they're thinking he's Jesus of Nazareth. That's way up north. That's nowhere near the tribe of Judah. Nowhere near Bethlehem where David was going, where David's family was born. Isaiah 7:14 said he'd be born of a virgin. Now this one we know that they had some inkling about because what was one of the accusations they made of Jesus one time? They were standing in front of Jesus and go, we know who our father is. They knew something about his history uh, on that part. They knew the negative part on that because Mary would have been accused of being playing around before marriage. And he would have been considered an illegitimate child. Even though Joseph and Mary got married, they would have considered him illegitimate. And we know that the scribes and Pharisees knew that much of his history. That he was considered to be illegitimate. So this fills that prophecy, Isaiah 9-2, that he would be a great light. What's he doing? Bringing light. He's shedding light on a people that were bound in tradition and in ways of doing things. And they did not fully understand the scriptures. This can be a problem that we have in many times If we grow up in churches and we spend a lot of time in churches. We can get bound up in what do we think is true by how we've been taught, how we've been raised. And we need to be careful about that and let the light of Jesus shine upon us and saying, uh, you're just living in traditions. Jesus said, did this many times. How many times did Jesus heal on the Sabbath day? Now, God said, you do not work on the Sabbath day. and they And the Jews have... Huge sections of their rule book on what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day. I went to a friend's house who was a Jewish one time, and, uh, and I was there Friday night before sunset, and they were running around all the house, opening up all the cabinets and getting the crockpots turned on and turning on all the lights that they want, wanted on for the whole, for the next uh, 24 hours. And I almost felt like maybe I should go run run around and close all their cabinets for them. It would have been terrible, because opening a cabinet was working by their definition. Turning on your stove would be working. So they were bound by these rules. And Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day. Just to show them that that's not God's rule. He was bringing light to them. They thought all these different things. And all through the scriptures we see Jesus doing exactly what he wasn't supposed to do. By man's rules and traditions. And he even told them. You have raised man's traditions above God's word. And You know, the Jews have a statement on that. They they really understand that they have made their rules bigger than than what God says, and they call it building a wall around God's rules so that you don't accidentally break his rules. So that if you break man's rules, you won't break God's rules because all you did was went over one wall and not all the way over to God's. And they admit that that's what they've done. Jesus irritated them because he goes, I don't want the, God doesn't want these walls. I have never asked for these walls around my rules. Just don't break my rules. And this happens many times in Christian churches. There are churches where they make all kinds of rules on how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to behave if you're going to be a good Christian. And you know, to one sense, they might be pretty good, but they're not necessarily God's rules. We have liberty. We have liberty to live the way God wants us to do. Now people go, does that mean we can do anything that we want, right? Well, Paul already answered that when he said, that grace much more abounds, you know, that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, and they said, and he anticipated, he says, well, people will say, that means I can go out and sin. He goes, God forbid that you will just go out and sin. That would show that you don't know God. It really does. You know, I teach grace because if you want to go out and sin, that just tells me that you don't know God. If you're purposely sinning just so you can have more grace, there's a problem with your relationship with God. But we want to walk on and say, God's given me liberty. Now, how how does liberty work? Well, I can't tell you how many people will come up to me and say, is it okay for me to do such and such? And I have a real simple answer. And my answer is, for you, no. Because if you're already asking me if it's okay, you doubt that it's okay between you and God, so you already do not have liberty to do it. So if you are doubting anything about whether it's okay to do something or not, it's sin for you. That may mean somebody else can do it with not sin because they have the liberty. They have no problem with it. But if you're already struggling with should I do something and it's not a thou shalt not. You know, we have some very clear thou shalt nots. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery, fornication. There's a lot of thou shalt nots. Those are very clear you don't do. But we have a lot of gray areas in our life. A lot of gray areas in our life. Now, if they're gray to you, don't do them. If they're very light to you, they're completely light to you and there's no darkness in it, it's fine for you. You've got the liberty to do it. If it's dark, don't do it. <laughs> All right. If it's even gray, don't do it. <laughs> because it's sin if you have any doubt in your mind whether you should be able to do something or not, it is sin. And this is where we are with God. Um, and then Isaiah 50, 53, 2 and 1, that, he, that the Messiah would be rejected. That is actively what the scribes and Pharisees did to Jesus. They rejected him. All of these things said that they should know the time that they were in. They were in the time of the Messiah and they did not see it. So we're going, okay, so what what, what does this all mean to us? Well, let's take this to us. What are the signs of the times that we should be looking for? We're looking for Jesus's second coming. We're looking for the rapture coming. And the rapture, friends, can happen any time. We're going to show you, I'm just going to show you a handful of the signs that the rapture is on its way. After the rapture comes, seven years of tribulation will come on this world, and it's all aimed at the world to bring them back to Christ. And then Jesus will come back and reign for a 1,000 years and actually be what the Jews were looking for, the King who rules the world from Jerusalem. But we have some times, and you know, this is kind of interesting because the first thing we're going to say is, no one knows the hour, the day or the hour that Jesus is going to return. All right. We don't know the exact date. If anybody ever tells you that they know the exact date, get away from their teaching because they're lying. They don't know the rest of the Bible. Now we can understand times. We can understand the season. this This idea has been likened to a pregnant woman. The bigger she gets, the closer she gets to her nine months, the more sure you are she's going to have a baby. Now do you know exactly when that baby is going to come? Well outside of having a c-section and having a surgery scheduled, no. You do not know when that baby is coming, that baby just decides it's time to come when it's time to come. You have plans, you have activities, it doesn't matter, that baby is going to come when it's time for that baby to come. This is what's going to happen with the rapture. We'll see the signs, we'll understand that we are getting close. And I've had people to, well you Christians have been talking for 2,000 years that he's coming. Yes. And we're closer today than we were 2,000 years ago. We are closer today than we were yesterday. If he doesn't come, we'll be closer tomorrow than we are today. All I can say is the signs are there and the signs are getting clearer with every passing uh, year. So we're just going to look at a handful of these signs as we go through. In Matthew chapter 24... Verses 6-8, through eight. this is Jesus talking, well let me take it to verse 4. And Jesus answered them and said unto them, Take heed that man, no man deceive you, for many shall come, arise, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, and the end is not yet. For nations shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. So this is just the beginnings of the end times. What is the first thing he said? Wars. Nations against nations. Now, I've studied on this a little bit, and I didn't realize how many quote-unquote wars have been going on in our world. But there, right now, the, the, as of a couple months ago, they said there were 267 active wars going on in this world. And they were defining war any place where a hundred or more people had died. What's in our news right now is a war going on in Ukraine. And it's eclipsing all of the other minor little wars going on around. But there are wars all over the place. And we're also hearing all the time, peace, peace, everything's peaceful. And how many skirmishes, wars have we had in just the 1900s? We've had many wars and we have not really had a peaceful time. Just as Jesus said, and he said, this is the beginning. He said also that there will be famines and pestilence. How much are we talking about famine right now? Even here in America, we're starting to talk about famine and lack of food and everywhere. The rest of the world has been dealing with this for a long time. Pestilence, we just came out of two years of terrible pestilence called COVID, and probably going to be more in the near future as we go along. Why? It's the end times. We are sitting right there on the cusp of all of this thing. Then he says there will be diverse earthquakes in various places. How many earthquakes do we hear about anymore? And sometimes we're hearing about, it was no big deal when you lived in California, Oregon, Washington, anywhere around the Pacific Rim, you heard about earthquakes all the time. I lived in I lived in California, we didn't even worry about an earthquake until it, it broke uh, four or five. And you know, lived in Guam, we didn't even think about them until they got big, because they were always shaking the island. But now we're hearing about earthquakes in Tennessee, you know, Pennsylvania, all these places where we never heard about them, and we look at this and say, God said they were going to happen. Does this tell us that we're looking at something or should be looking at something? I think so. I think we should be looking very carefully at how close are we to the end days. Because we're seeing all of these things and they're intensifying in a great way. In the book of Amos chapter 8 verse 11. Behold the days come says the Lord God and I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. This one is actually very scary when I think about this because I have listened to so many pastors online. I have seen so many churches where they do not preach the word of God. I've talked to pastors and they go, some people don't, are telling us they don't, that people don't want to hear the word of God. And I think that's true because the people I talk to don't want to hear about God. They'll tell you, don't, talk to, don't give that God stuff to me. I don't believe in it. I don't want to hear it. And we're getting worse with each passing year. I don't know why a pastor would even consider not preaching the word. You don't call yourself a pastor if you don't want to be preaching the word and yet there are many out there that won't preach the word because the word bothers people, it scares them away. And I have this attitude that if I can't preach the word I might as well not be preaching because I wouldn't have anything to preach. I don't know what you would preach if you're not preaching the word of God as a, as a Christian pastor. We have to teach the word of God in spite of a famine of caring. Because there are still people out there. God always has a remnant of people wanting to... We are in this right now, a famine for the word of God that's probably going to keep getting worse. And we want to be able to understand that. I want to read in Revelation chapter 13. Just pulled my notes from another book. And he caused all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark and the name of the beast or the number of his name. So here we have God telling us that there's coming a time when you won't even be able to buy and sell without having this mark. Are we there yet? No. Are we close to that? Yes. We're hearing more and more talk about it. You know, if you listen closely to the news right now, they're talking about that you should not even be allowed to go into a store unless you have a uh, vaccine passport. And they're starting to push for these things. That's not quite the mark of the beast, but it's pretty darn close. We are in basically a cashless society because most of us don't carry cash very often. You know, it's very funny at the prison. I keep getting asked every morning whether I have $40 in my pocket or not. And I'm going, what is $40? Is that the green paper that's supposed to be able to be spent? I rarely have a $20 bill in my pocket. You know, I'm very rare to have that. I'm very rare to have a dollar in my pocket because I have a piece of plastic that spends at every, at every store and takes money out of my bank account. I am in a cashless world. I'm sorry, I'm already in a cashless world. Uh, and most of everything else is in a cashless world. Big finance does not no longer put things into a truck and transfer the gold and money from one place to another place. They just electronically send it from one bank to the other. Friends, we are in a cashless society. It does not take long to go to the place where we cannot buy and sell without having a mark or a particular rule. It's happening right now that different groups that are conservative groups are being cut off from their finances because the banks decide that they are too dangerous to be talking. So they take away their access to their bank and access to people giving them their money. We're not at the mark of the beast, but we are right there in a place where nobody has ever seen in history that we are just one quick step away from having this mark and having this restriction. Are we close to the end times? You know, The answer is yes. Am I saying it's going to be today or tomorrow? No, I'm not even going to go there, but I'm saying we are one big emergency away, and we could be sitting right at a cashless society requiring people to have something. You know? And we're right there, so we look at all this, and then in Second Timothy, chapter three, starting at verse one. Therefore, you brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Oops, get in Second Timothy, not Hebrews. <laughs> I was going to say that has nothing to do with what I was reading. All right, Second Timothy, three. This know also that in the last days perilous time shall come, that men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, or disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those things that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away, for these are the sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin and lead away with divers lust, ever learning, never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Sounds a little bit like our world. (laughs) Just a little bit. You know, people who are deceivers, lovers of themselves, without natural affections, which means homosexuals, transgenders, those things. Uh, truce breakers, fierce, disobedient to their parents, uh, you know, when you read that, and you go, wow, how close to the end times are we? We're sitting right on the cusp. Everything is in place for it. Do we see the signs? Do we understand the signs? Now, what should this mean to us? Okay, Jesus is coming soon. Praise God, I get to go home. Well, I agree. That's a wonderful side of things. What else should it do for us? Jesus is coming soon, and there's going to be seven years of tribulation. Do you have family and friends that don't know Jesus? This should motivate us to go share the gospel with our family and friends. Should motivate us to share it with everybody, but at least start with your family and friends that they do not end up going through tribulation. In the book of Revelation, I went through and I went, did the math on it, and it says quarter of the people die here, a third of the people die here, and it goes through, and all these people die through the 21 trials. When you add all those people that are dead, 66% of the population of the world will die during the seven years of tribulation. That's a lot of people. Two out of every three people will die during the tribulation period. I don't want to see anybody go through that I want to see people get saved. I want to see them turn to Christ, recognize they're a sinner and turn to Christ and have him come into their heart and take them at the rapture so they get to enjoy seven years of feast. Now, have you ever thought about that? What we're going to do in heaven for seven years while the world is going through hell, we're going to go through the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to have a seven-year celebration. I haven't been into any really long parties like that, but the seven-year party, in heaven. I think the food's going to be pretty good, the music is going to be good, you know, everything about heaven and that party is going to be one of the best parties you could ever imagine and you have a choice of having a seven-year party, or seven years of trouble and trials and tribulations and pain and suffering. Me, it's an easy choice. I want want seven years of, of pleasure, not seven years of trials. What is our motivation? Are we sharing with our family? Does our family know what's coming? Do they know that they have a choice to make? Now I hope everybody in this room has talked to their family. If you can't talk to them, go grab tracks and give them a track. We've got a whole bunch of them in the hallway and I got a whole bunch of them in my office. You know, if you're afraid to talk to them, give them a track, mail them a track, you know, drop a track off at of their front door, whatever, whatever makes you feel comfortable doing be better to talk to them, but the track can do with them talking. We need to be taking this information. The signs of the time are here. We're looking at the possibility of the rapture any time now, and we need to be ready. That doesn't mean it scares us, we stop and we go sit on the top of a house waiting for Jesus to come. It should motivate us though to share the gospel with people and be able to share this with them. He may not come for another couple decades. I look at this and I say, the signs are here. Could the signs get worse? Yes, the signs can get worse. He can come at any time and start and everything and the time starts ticking for the end days. At the end of time, it's seven years of tribulation, and a thousand year reign of Christ. Are we ready? Are we seeing the signs? Are we ready to respond to those signs? And is it motivating us to share with others? And this is where I'm looking at. Jesus condemned the scribes and Pharisees going, you are teaching all about the Messiah coming and you don't see the signs. The sad thing in our day and age, there's not a lot of pastors that are teaching the signs of the times. We're at the end days and we need to be talking about them. We need to make sure people know we are at the end days. The Bible is full of the end days. How close we are? Close. Is it really imminent? I have no idea you know and I've said this many times. We're all expecting to go home and we may not make it home because of death, but we also may not make it home and leave this room you know, there There's a possibility this room could get be emptied in a moment. We need to be ready. The rapture is coming in a twinkling of an eye. He will take his saints, and his saints will be gone. The world will be in chaos and i I've thought it, since I've been out to prison I've thought you know. How many at the prison, if one inmate is not where they belong during account time, there's a panic, and they lock down the whole place and and search for this inmate. There are some Christians out there at the prison that are prisoners. What kind of panic will there be when the the rapture happens in the prison? Let's say it's only 1% of the 4,000 people out there. That's still a lot of people that are gonna be missing. You know, they're gonna miss 40 inmates that they're going to be searching for everywhere. Now the rest of the panic, the world's going to be missing a lot of people too. So I think they may quickly realize that it's somebody, a, a big problem. And all the reasonings and all the excuses for missing all the people of the world are going to go f- flowing around. And the Antichrist at that time can stand up and say, I've got answers. I'm going to help get this peace in. And we'll see the rest of all the signs being fulfilled. But we need to be ready. We need to make sure our loved ones are ready. And I'm going to challenge you, have you talked to your family members about the gospel message? Now I'm not saying that every time you see them you need to talk to them because they'd probably not invite you to their house anymore and see you come and lock the doors. But have you at least talked to them once or twice? Will they be able to stand up at the throne and point to you and say, why didn't you tell me when they're standing at the white throne judgment? I don't want that. I want them to go, I told you. you You didn't accept, but I told you. We need to be able to understand there is a time coming that's going to be hard on this world. We need to be speaking to get them so they don't go through it. Read the signs, understand the times that are coming our way, and be ready for that day. Have your, have your accounts short. Talk to people, let them know. What is the worst thing they can do about you is be mad at you. I would rather they be mad at me on earth and have a reason than to stand before the white throne and be mad at me for eternity because I didn't tell them. I want to understand that we are facing a hard time and we need to stand forward with God and say, God, I have shared with you your power. Holy Spirit, touch them. This is why we pray for revival. I'm not looking to get a revival to fill this church, which would be nice. I'm looking for a revival to fill God's kingdom. That's what I want. I want to see, and our job is this church is to build God's kingdom. And we've been doing a good job at it. Everybody who gets really moving in this church moves someplace else for some reason. They leave chloride and go someplace else. And we've had a revolving door of everybody who comes up and starts doing their work and they go move someplace else in nine years. And you know what? Praise God. Yeah. My job is not to come here and build you know, what would scare most of you, a thousand, two thousand person church. That's not my job. My job is not to come here and bring everybody in Mojave County out to Chloride every Sunday morning and and Wednesday night for church. My job and your job is to build God's kingdom and then let God build the church as he decides fit. So we're gonna go through here today and this is also a communion Sunday, so we're gonna have communion. But I just wanna encourage everybody, read the signs, understand the signs, look at what God is doing. It's for us as Christians, this is not, something to be scared of. As I watch what's going on in this world, I'm getting excited. It excites me. Jesus is coming back soon. That excites me. It also depresses me because of how miserable everything is, but it also excites me that God is coming back. He's doing it soon. That is what gets us motivated to serve him because he's coming back soon. And we're going to be rescued as Christians. And we're going to have a party. We need to be prepared for that. Lord, we ask you to bless this day for each person. Lord, help us to read the signs of the times. Help us to understand that you are coming back. Give us the boldness and the courage to share it with our family and friends and be excited as we see these things happening, not that it's out of control because you are in control, you're bringing to happen exactly what you said, and we thank you for all of that, and in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured of eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you, and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible-teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.